begin to develop a burden for them, we may not really put love into action until we care. And so my hope is that over the course of February and continuing on, you'll continue to pray for these individuals, continue to have that develop burden. But, but now as we enter into March, our, our ask of you, our challenge to all of you is that you would now take that initiative to put love into action and specifically, intentionally set up an appointment. Like, like, like say, hey, let, let's grab lunch. Let's grab dinner. Let's go get a cup of coffee. That's one thing that we all have in common. Like it might be you say, hey, let's go to the driving range, but that might not be what your person would have in common with you. But all of us, we got to eat and we all like something to, to drink, preferably coffee. And so it's something that you can do to where you can gather together. And then our hope and desire is that over the course of the month of, of, the month of March is that you are taking the time to, to be intentional about that. And then as you do is that you would listen to those individuals. I know we're quick to want to share, but it's good for us to be slow to speak and to listen so that we can identify and recognize what need do they have in their life that I might be able to help with. So that way I'm continuing to build a relationship so that way I can meet those needs as best as I can, or maybe invite other people in to help meet some of these needs that I've discovered in this person or that person's life. But then recognizing that, yes, ultimately we we want to share with them the greatest need, the gospel of Christ. Even just hearing this morning, one, one of our church members shared with me that he's asking us to pray for, for his roommate because his roommate is, his, his cousins, they just got drafted in the Ukraine. I asked the question, you know, do they know the Lord? And he doesn't know about the cousins, but he knows that his roommate does. And it's one of those things of where it's really easy for us to kind of take for granted of what, of what we have, but to recognize that with what we do have, that we would leverage it for the cause of Christ and for the gospel. And to be able to share that hope, because we don't know if the person next to us has that hope. As, as we were in our time of prayer this morning for First Sunday prayer, it, it was such a sweet time for me just to be reminded of, I know Christ, and I'm humbled by that. But the person that I live near, I don't know exactly if they know Christ. And the persons that I work with, I don't really know their story yet. And the persons that I hang out with, I don't really know their whole story yet. But if I have this hope that can alleviate such pressure that, that all of us experience as Christians, let alone people who don't know Christ, if we have that hope, why would we not demonstrate that, share that with them, proclaim that to them? And so I hope that as we go into the month of March and as we build toward our Easter series and Easter season, that you would leverage the opportunities that you have to be able to share with them the hope that we have, that we would live as much as we possibly can by the grace and strength of the Lord a remarkable life like we've been seeing throughout these missionary journeys in the life of Paul. So if you have your Bible, look at Acts chapter 20, and we're going to read and go through this entire chapter, but we're going to begin in these first six verses. But listen to what it says. It says, after the uproar had ceased, if you were with us last week, you know that the uproar was there was a mob mentality in Ephesus. Uh, They didn't like what was going on there of how things were changing because of the gospel of Christ. It says, after the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he left to go down to Macedonia. And when he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months, and when a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and Aristarchus, and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. 
But these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. And so we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days. And there we stayed seven. Before we go further, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the worship that we've had through song this morning. Uh, I ask that we would have sensitive minds and hearts to hear what you have to say. And Father, that again, we would see you at work in this passage and to know that you, as you work through Paul and these others, that you can work through us as well. And Lord, I pray that we would see this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it was a couple of years ago I had the opportunity to be able to be a part of a ministry here locally with New Vision Baptist Church of working with young adults. And I can remember in the summer of, I think it was 2020, um, we took the opportunity to finally be able to get together. We'd been doing a lot of that remote Zoom uh, type type uh, engagements, and I was invited to come play volleyball with them. It was when I played volleyball, it was the first time I actually met uh, the giant of a man by the name of Devin, and, uh, and I was able to engage and play sand volleyball. Now, one thing you need to know about me is I've worked on this. I used to have a really bad uh, competitive spirit to where um, I was a little bit, I was like, oh, I, w- I was feisty on the court, um, whether it was volleyball, basketball, or whatever, and so um, I can remember we went out to play, and though at that time I was 39, uh, and <laughs> the year matters, it does, um, my mind still thinks I'm that 20-year-old that can still play just like I did before. And I grew up in a home where sports, we played a lot of sports on a lot of different teams, and you play to win the game. And so even though it's just fun recreational volleyball, I'm going to dive because you can. And um, and so we're playing on these sand, sand volleyball courts that were mostly sand, but every once in a while there was like a chunk of rock or concrete in there. And I remember diving at one point and I went for the dig and, I, and I'm going to say that I got it. I don't remember, but I got it. And so I, I, I make that dig and then uh, we're still playing. And I don't remember who it was, but one of the young adults said, Stephen, your, 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 your knee is bleeding. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. And I just kept playing because that's what you do. You play. And it left this mark that I can remember. I came home and Tiffany, um, she, she wasn't able to come. And, and I told her about the situation of what had happened. And she said, well, let's clean it. And I was like, I'll just, I'll just get cleaned up. And so as time went by, this thing would not heal for the longest time. Like there's still a mark there of just simply playing sand volleyball that again, when I was 20, this thing would have healed right up, no scab, no issue. I mean, it just would have been done with, but it left this mark. And I know that some of you have that same competitive spirit. You've played things where as you played, uh, the result might have been it left a mark of maybe, a, I don't know, a stitch or some broken bones or that kind of thing. And I was thinking about our series, Remarkable. And I, think, I thought about that word, remark, and I was thinking about the idea of marks. Not the name, but getting a mark, something that leaves a mark. And I know for some, there might be physical markers that we can see that remind us of a story. Maybe it's a scar or whatever it may be. But I also know this, is that for a lot of people, there are marks that have been left in your life that are far deeper than a physical marker. And some of them, unfortunately, because things that go too far can be a, a marker that is deep down because of a relationship or because emotionally, physically, some kind of abuse, that there are some markers that, that we have experienced in this room that are, that are deep and profound in the negative sense. And those are incredibly hard to, to process through and to work through because of grief and pain and suffering. I mean, it's, it's left a mark. But hopefully the same is true on the opposite side, is that 
the people or the experiences or the relationships that we've had, that there have been some positive marks that have been left behind. That there have been people that you have lived your life with, locked arms with, maybe in a church, maybe in your family, maybe spouse or some children, whatever it may be, that you look over the course of your life and that's a mark that, that has impacted you far beyond than you could possibly imagine. I'm so grateful that the ultimate mark that my parents left to me wasn't how to throw a football, which I appreciate, Dad, but is that he told me about Jesus. Not because he was the preacher, but because he was a follower of Christ. He left a mark and a legacy that he picked it up, not from his dad, because his dad left him at the age of four, ran out on him, wife, a son, and two daughters, because he was addicted to alcohol and gambling. And oftentimes what we do when we see a situation like that is sometimes it's hard to break that chain or that cycle whenever someone has kind of left a certain mark in your life of it seems to not be unusual to even if you hate what that person did to follow those footsteps. But somehow by the grace of God and men in my dad's life, we're able to instill in him faith in Christ and he passed that on to me and my two brothers. And I love the fact that today, right now, maybe in about an hour. I'm getting to preach the word and my brother's getting to preach the word today. An indelible mark was left and has been left because of my parents. For some of you, that that may not be your story. But my hope is that you're here because someone left a mark on you because they were willing to share with you about Jesus. So think back to who those people are, those remarkable people that they're not famous. I don't know who they are. But man, they left a mark with you, and it's stuck with you. And the reason why I bring this up is because the first thing I want us to see just from these first few verses is that when we live and lead a remarkable life, we should leave a mark, hopefully in the positive sense, hopefully in a way that leaves an impact where we're making a legacy that will say, you know, I, I, can't, I can't change what happened before me in the generations before me, but I, as Joshua would say in the Old Testament, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I'm going to begin this now as a single young man or woman on into my married life and into my twilight years. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. That will lead a remarkable life. And it will leave a mark for those that are around you. And so this remarkable life, it leaves a mark, it makes an impact, and we've seen it with Paul. And we'll say, well, Paul's famous. He left some incredible marks. So let's take a look at it. Can we put the map up if you don't mind? It's map time. I got my pointer stick again. And so what we have is, we've, this has been so fun for me. If you haven't enjoyed it, I'm so sorry, but I love going through this study because it's brought alive not only the book of Acts and Paul's missionary journeys, but it's brought alive the book of Galatians and First and Second Corinthians and First and Second Timothy and Ephesians and just all of the letters that Paul wrote, they have come to life because I have an idea of, of what he was doing and how these churches got started. And so as, as you guys know, we just read He's been on this journey. He's gone from Antioch. He's made his way to Ephesus. He was in Ephesus for like two and a half to three years. Uh, Kay got the question right in the email newsletter. She got her Kit Kat. And so right here, he was here for about two and a half to three years. And then it says in the text, he made his way over into Macedonia. Then he went down into Greece. And then he goes back through Macedonia. But his ultimate aim and desire is he wants to get back to Jerusalem. 
It said he wanted to sail to Syria, but he was having issues because, as was kind of his MO, he was in Greece and there were some problems. People didn't like what he was sharing, so he had to kind of backtrack and make his way through here. Now, I told this to you last week. Let's see if you remember. Paul said from the get-go last week, he's in Ephesus. He's like, I want to get back to Jerusalem so that I can then go to Rome. But as we see, he goes into Macedonia. Do you remember why he went into Macedonia, even though he said, I want to go to Jerusalem now? Do you remember? Anyone? All right, that's, that's not good. And so what happened is he sent some guys ahead of him because he said, you go ahead to the churches in Macedonia because we're going to collect an offering because the church, the mother church in Jerusalem is struggling. And we're not just a church of Ephesus. We're not just a church of Thessalonica. We're not just a church of Berea. We are the church. And one of our local church congregations is struggling. And so I'm going to come to you. And before you do, I'm sending Timothy and Erastus to go ahead and prepare you guys to start collecting an offering. And when I show up, it needs to be ready because I got a journey to make over here. I don't want to show up and then try to convince you guys to be giving and sacrificial and take up this offering. It needs to be ready when I show up. And so he goes through this area in order to collect that offering. And we read about that in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, man, every week you guys need to be systematically gathering an offering. And when I come, I'm going to take a portion of that and I'm going to take it down here to Jerusalem to help those who are in need. And so as he does so, he makes his way back. He has to backtrack because of uh, persecution here in Athens and Greece. He makes his way back and he comes to this city of Troas. And you say, well, why are we bringing this up? And how is this, these specific verses demonstrating that Paul lived a remarkable life that left a mark? Well, this is the reason why. Look at verse four. Verse four is a verse that if you're like me, you read difficult names and difficult places and you just skip it. <laughs> you get to the end of Paul's letters, and he's got his laundry list of all these different people, and you're like, and that's the end of the book for me. Uh, I got the stuff that I wanted to read. But what's incredible about this is, is, is look, look at this, Sopater. Can we, can we put the, the map back up if you don't mind? No, you're fine. Uh, we have Sopater. He's, he's from Berea. And then you have, who's this next guy? You have uh, Aristarchus and Secundus. They are from Thessalonica. And then you have Gaius, who is all the way over here in Galatia and Derby? You have Timothy, who is from Lystra. You have Tychicus, great name, by the way. And Trophimus, they are from Asia Minor. So, this area of like Ephesus, Colossae, Laodicea, a lot of the churches that you know from Revelation chapters two through three. And so, you have this interesting collection of these different individuals. And you say, well, what's the point of that? Everywhere Paul went, he left a mark. Everywhere. And though he longed to make his way to Jerusalem, and though he longed to make his way to Rome, he didn't miss the opportunity that was in front of him. He didn't miss the people that were in front of him. We know that in this story, Luke is with him, Silas is with him, Erastus is with him. There's others that we believe that are probably with him as well. And the reason why I say that is where you are right now, invest in the people that you are around right now, because it pays dividend down the road. Sometimes we're eager to get to the next stage, the next season of life, the next, man, if I could just get through this. And I get that, especially when life is hard and life is difficult, especially whenever we see prices going up. It's just like, I just kind of want to get by, do my own thing. And what we see is Paul it has this mindset and attitude of, even though I'm being run out of town, I'm going to make an impact of where I am because this is where God has me. 
Some of you are in a job right now you can't wait to get out of. But for right now, that's where you are. Man, make the most of it. I remember my first year of college, I went to Tulsa Community College. And my mindset was all of my buddies had moved and made their way to, again, the greatest university in all the land, University of Oklahoma. And I was like, I know I'm only going to be at this community college in Tulsa for no more than a year. And then I'm going to move to Norman, Oklahoma so that I can be with my buddies because eventually I'm going to enroll into the University of Oklahoma. So my mindset was, after I'd just spent an incredible summer working at this camp and developing these great relationships, my mindset for some reason changed because I'm only going to be in Tulsa for like nine more months. And these people that I'm having these classes with, I'm not even going to ever really see them ever again. So what's the point of building and making these relationships? I'm going to be gone in a little while. And as a result, I intentionally chose not to engage with the people that were around me. And it was the loneliest year of my entire life. I look back on it now as a learning experience of, man, what folly. It was so lonely and so isolating. God was able to bring good out of it because I prayed like I'd never prayed before because I was super lonely and I was like, at least you're here. I could talk to you. But it was my own choosing. Some of you know the missionary Jim Elliott and I went down to Jim Elliott Hole this week and I found lots of different quotes that he said that I loved. And here's one of them. He says, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. Be engaged. Make a mark. Make an impact with where you're at because you may not be there again. You may not have an opportunity to be at that place. You may not be living in that neighborhood a year from now. We, we don't know what the future holds. Be invested in the area that you are at. You see, because the difference was my first year of college, I had that mindset of, well, what does it matter? I'm just going to live my life. These relationships, they're not going to really last and really have any kind of impact. The difference was when I went to my first year at graduate school, to, at seminary, whenever I spent my time there, I took that time to be as invested as I possibly could with anybody. And to this day, perhaps my most profound friendships have come from my time at Southwestern Seminary because I was intentional of those guys that I live in the dorm with, of engaging with them. I was intentional about whenever, uh, about six months later, a new crop of girls came into campus, and one of them was Tiffany, and I was like, that's a winner, and so I went after her, and so you got to be intentional in the relationships that you have and be all there, because a remarkable life hopefully leaves, you're going to leave a mark. So where you're at right now, are you making an impact? Are you just kind of getting by? Are you even flying under the radar? Are you being intentionally just kind of distant from the people that are around you? Because, well, I'm not going to be here much longer. And stay faithful and stay consistent in the arena that God has you right now. But now let's go on to verses 7 and 12. 7 to 12. Look at what it says. It says, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day. And he prolonged his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, biblical, uh, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down, fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, do not be troubled for his life is in him. And when he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left. They took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. Next thing I want to mention to you is this, if you're taking notes. 
Not only do we want to live remarkable lives that leave a mark, but we also want to live remarkable lives in the mundane. Another way to put it is in the ordinary, in the common days. Majority of your life is not you going overseas on a mission trip. Majority of your life is not a vacation. Majority of your life is the mundane. It's running errands. It's clocking in, clocking out, going to get groceries, got to fill up the tank, whatever it may be. That's a typical life. The, the exception seems to be when we have these maybe huge moments that we tend to write about or journal about or talk about or share with friends. I want us to be able to have the mindset that in the mundane and the common and the ordinary, I can still lead and live a remarkable life, even though it just looks ordinary. And I think for so much of the chunk of our life, it's again, it's not vacation. It's not a whirlwind romance. It's just going to work and, and sitting in traffic. And what Paul is doing here is he's going to this gathering on a Sunday before he goes to Jerusalem. He's in Troas. And as he's in Troas, he, he meets with this group. And this is where we get some biblical evidence of they were gathering together to have a time of worship on the first day of the week on Sunday. Sometimes people ask the question, well, why don't we continue to meet on Saturdays for the Sabbath? And why isn't that our day of worship? Well, what we find is that the New Testament church seemed to meet on the first day of the week, Sunday, primarily because it was a day in which the Lord was resurrected. And so every Sunday that we come together to worship is hopefully even a, 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 a day as a reminder of He's not dead, he's alive. And so I have reason to worship, reason together, and reason for us to exist as a church family because our faith is not in vain. He did die on the cross and defeat sin, but he rose from the dead and he defeated death. And we needed that. <laughs> Without the resurrection, our faith is in vain. It's worthless. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. And so as he gets into Troas, he, he has this moment and he's breaking bread with them. And he begins to talk. And I love the fact that he, he talks and it says, Luke is writing this. He says, he just kept on talking and so much so that he talked until midnight. And then there's this young guy, Eutychus, who falls asleep. It's a fun little story, but it wouldn't be surprising that if they were meeting in an upper room, heat rises. They might've had the windows open for ventilation, for circulation, just try to kind of get some air moving. But not only do they have a, a decent gathering of people, probably not in a large room, not very high ceilings. And then they have these lamps that are being lit. I'm sure it was quite warm, quite toasty. He's making his way over to the windowsill to try to maybe wake up. And I, I've had some people ask me, Pastor, you ever get upset if somebody sleeps in your sermon? And I'm like, honestly, I, you know, I'm not saying this is nap time, but <laughs> I also don't know your life. Sometimes your life is you were up to like four o'clock in the morning because of an emergency. Or you're on some kind of shift work where something's happening. And in the end, my, my hope and my desire is that you're choosing to want to be here gathered as the church to come under the submission of the authority of the word just to simply hear what God has to say. And so if you happen to, to nod off, I'm not going to throw a rock at you. But my hope is that we want to stay engaged because it is the word of God and it is living and active. But also, man, life happens. And sometimes it's difficult, especially when it's nice and warm. That's why I like to have it nice and cold in this place. And so... What we have is he continues to talk, and so uh, he, 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 he's so passionate in this moment to share the truth that he has with them, that what I love is it's almost this picture of, even though this is just a regular mundane, probably we're gathering together to worship. Have you ever been that way on Sunday, and be honest? You know, on Sunday, I got to get up. 
put on some maybe kind of different clothes and I'm going to prepare and I'm going to go, but you're just kind of going through the motions, whether you are leading or whether you are participating in the congregation. It's just, this is, this is what I do. And it can be that mundane and it, it can kind of be that ordinary thing because it's just what we do. But what's incredible to me is that even in the moments where it's mundane, even right now, I know so many of you, I know your story of your faith in Christ, but I don't know all of your stories and I don't want to make the assumption of your story. But right now, we don't know that there might be someone sitting right next to you that, that they had a week that you can't even begin to understand or describe. And they're hanging on. <laughs> and what they're needing in a moment is a word from the Lord to where, yeah, this is, could be an ordinary mundane thing, but when God is present and his word is preached and his word is exposed for the truth that it is, God changes things and it becomes remarkable to where I was just going through the motions, but God, I interacted and, and, and ran smack into the living God as we looked at his word. And Paul has such a passionate desire because he knows I'm probably not coming back to you guys that I want to leave a mark. I'm going to lay it all out on the line to where I know you might fall asleep and fall out the window and we got to do some you know, recess or a resurrection kind of power stuff, but I got to give you everything I can because I may not see you again. And so I'm not only going to preach till midnight, we're going to resurrect the kid. He's going to come back to life. I'm going to keep talking until daybreak because I want you to know the truth because I care for you and I have a care for your souls as, as, as a caretaker, as, a, as, a, as an apostle of Christ. And for, for you guys, I know that, again, the majority of our life can be mundane and ordinary, but, but don't lose sight of, I'm not talking necessarily about the miraculous or the extraordinary. I'm, I'm just saying, continue to remain faithful to what God has called you to and recognize that even in those mundane moments, you can be a part of some remarkable things. And what I mean by that is this, we are so, so good at finding the fault in things. We're so good at finding the negativity in things and picking at things, and then using our desire to want to tear something down through cynicism or sarcasm and say, I was just joking. But we're just tearing down. And what we need is we need a place and a community and a people to where some, I would imagine, who've come into this place have not heard a word of encouragement or praise this entire week. And as a people, we, we need to work on edifying and building one another up because we get just beat up throughout the week. And we watch the news and we, we see things and we're just like, and we need one another to, to build one another up in this life that we are living. And for you, it might be just the simplest thing if you're walking by someone, maybe even today afterwards, and you just have a complimentary word about something that, I don't know, maybe they're wearing or their hair or whatever it may be, and you just say something, and it's just like someone saw me, noticed me, and was just kind to me. And you're like, that's so simple and small, but maybe not to them in that moment because you don't know what they were going through. Engage with those that are around you. Even if it feels ordinary or mundane, it can still be remarkable. So from there, if we can bring the map back up, and this may be the last time you guys get a map of the Book of Acts. I know, that's so sad. And so uh, they make their way from Troas, they come down to Chios, Samos, and then they finally make their way to Miletus. And when they make their way to Miletus, Paul intentionally does this because 
He wants the elders and the leaders of the church of Ephesus to come to him. He doesn't want to go into Ephesus because he knows if I go in there, I'm probably going to get stuck there longer than I want. You ever been in that situation? I love you, but I don't really want to come in just because I know I'm going to get stuck in this situation. I got to go. I got an appointment. And Paul's like, I got an appointment to make my way over here to, uh, to Tyre and then all the way down to Jerusalem because I got an offering that I got to deliver. So that way I can go to Jerusalem. And as we're going to see, he's going to stay in Jerusalem for a little bit, go through a mockery of trials, which we'll see next year in January. And he's going to make his way to Rome. He will make his way to Rome, maybe not the way he thought, but he will make his way to Rome as a prisoner and as in chains. But as he does, he stays here in Miletus for just a little bit, and the elders from Ephesus come down to him. And this is, this is the end of our, of, of our study for Remarkable, but man, what, what a remarkable passage of scripture for us to conclude this series on. Look at what it says, beginning in verse 17. So it says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church, And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, Bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. We read this earlier as a group, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock and From among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now, now I commend to you God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. We don't have time to read the rest in the beginning of chapter 21, but he's about to make his way to conclude his third missionary trip when he gets to the shores of Tyre and makes his way to Jerusalem. Last thing I want us to look at today are the markers of a remarkable life. The markers of a remarkable life. Some of you have no desire to be in the limelight. It's not your personality. But I still believe that every one of us, we want to have, we want to make an impact. We want to have a purpose for 
being here, for existing, for breathing, for being a part of this life. Like we don't want to just squander the time that we have. I truly believe that you desire to live the remarkable life. But again, I'm not talking about a famous one. I'm talking about a life that has purpose, impact, where you leave a mark. And I think there are qualities here that we read from Paul that I want us just to journey through very quickly and for you to write them down maybe in the margin of your Bible in Acts chapter 20 of these different qualities that Paul is just expressing really about about himself, but it would be markers that I hope that we would begin to see in our lives, or if we don't see them, we begin to try to develop them because they're so good, and I think they would go across the board for all of us. And the first one is humility. In verse 19, he talks about how he served the Lord with all humility. Uh, Again, humility is that classic definition of not thinking thinking less of yourself. It's not putting yourself down but it's thinking of yourself less. One way that I put it when I worked at a summer camp in high school was this idea that Jesus is first, others are second, I'm third. That's the life I want to live. Jesus is first above all else, others are second, and I'm third. That I want to live my life as a servant towards those that are around me in humility towards those that I get to be with. I've also discovered that specifically humility has become perhaps the the marker or um, uh, the, the, the thing that I most am drawn to in other individuals. I can remember visiting with an individual and he had all the talent in the world and it was all listed on that resume, but not an ounce of humility. You may be incredibly good at something, but if there's not an ounce of humility, it doesn't draw people in. You did a good job at your job. But there's something about humility that is is an attractant to people. And what we're wanting to do as followers of Christ is attract people kind of to us so that we can point them to Christ. And humility is one of those markers. And sometimes we ask the question, well, how do I gain humility? And I think it's putting yourself in those moments of where you are trying to be intentional of how can I serve others? How can I put others before me? How can I make sure that others are being, being met? As opposed to what you can do for me, how, how can I do something for, for you? How can I, how can I serve? The, the second marker, because we've got to go quickly, the second marker is also in verse 19 of tears. Paul, Paul says, I serve the Lord with humility and with tears. There's a, there's a sense of brokenness. We know that Paul at times is incredibly stern and can be incredibly honest and at times maybe even harsh. But he's also someone that he's sensitive to the realities of people's spiritual condition, that though you are far from God. Remember when he went into Corinth? Remember when he went into Corinth and it was just a place of absolute debauchery that he's like, I probably would normally associate with you, but why would I expect you who are lost without the Holy Spirit to behave as someone who has the Holy Spirit? Sometimes we have this mindset that we want to go and we want to change the world or expect people to change their conduct and behavior, but they don't have Christ in their life. We shouldn't expect lost people to behave any other way than lost that we would come alongside them and we would share with them what the truth is in grace and in truth. Some of you know who the famous preacher from the 1800s by the name of D.L. Moody. It was said by one of his contemporaries that he was the only one that was qualified to teach on the truths of hell because when he spoke, he did so with tears in his eyes. He recognized and had such a sensitivity and a sympathy towards those who didn't know Jesus that he was just continually going towards them with tears, with brokenness. The third marker is trials. I believe that is a marker of a remarkable life, is that you're going to go through hardship. 
And because you have chosen to give your life to Jesus and to live faithfully to him, that as it says, as Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you're going to have hardship. You're going to be persecuted. Like you're going to have difficulty. And this is the issue. I'm not talking about difficulty that you stupidly bring upon yourself. <laughs> and I'm not talking about difficulty just because we all have hard times and, 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 and we're just all going through hardship. I'm talking about persecution or difficulty because you are willing to stand without compromise on what the truth of God's word has to say. Not on tradition, but on the truth of God's word and what it has to say. And that at times, that's going to draw people to where you're going to experience trial and hardship as a reality. And so what we do is we have a desire to want to see our faith built up. And it's these trials that we endure, that Paul endured, that actually strengthen your faith. And it sounds so counter. Because so often for us, what we want is we, we say, God, I'm in the valley. Will you take me up to the mountain peak? And we get to that mountain peak. And we love the mountain peak. I don't know anybody who doesn't enjoy the mountain peak, the view, the experience, the breeze. It feels so good. I love it. But then we go back into a valley. But have you found that it's oftentimes in the valley that we cry out to God the most? Unfortunately, that seems to be the case. But it's, it's when our faith is tested and tried that it begins to grow. So some of you know, like if, if you go to the gym and you're, you're working out and you're wanting to increase your muscle mass, what you're going to do is not just show up and take a look in the mirror and go, all right, I'm holding the dumbbells. Sometimes we go, I, I got the word, I go to church, I pray, I say the right things, but it's not until you live by faith that you begin to work out those faith muscles. And it's when we work out at the gym and you're actually doing the curls that your muscles are literally breaking down in order to be built up. The same is true with our faith. There are moments where as if we're going through the hardship and the trial and our faith is, it's not breaking down, but, but we're, we're going and we're struggling, but it's actually building us up to make us stronger so that we can endure and persevere further on down the road. So I'm not saying that I pray and go, Lord, bring the trials, but I do want to see my faith increase. And oftentimes that means trials comes our way. Next thing, next marker is he had the courage to communicate the truth. We, we, we see that in verse 20. He says, I, I declared to you anything that was profitable, or I, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you publicly and from house to house, testifying to, to anybody and everybody of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. He says later on in verse 25, he says, I know that among you, I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. He has the courage to share the truth of the matter. Jim Elliott, that, that missionary that I mentioned before, he said, unfortunately, at times we are sideliners. We're coaching and criticizing the real wrestlers while content to sit by and leave the enemies of God unchallenged. The world cannot hate us, for we are too much like its own. Oh, that God would make us dangerous. That's a different kind of prayer. I want to look like the world. I want to be dangerous. One of the beautiful things about this is that when he's communicating the truth is that the gospel has nothing to hide. It's not secretive. There's not some higher knowledge that we got to obtain to. The gospel is just out there for anyone to examine. The gospel is unfazed and unashamed of your doubts and your questions. Ask away. I know for some of you, I've been asking you to go out and share your faith. 
have gospel conversations. Oftentimes the fear is, well, what if they ask me something I don't know? Let them ask. I guarantee you that question has been asked before. And the answer is going to be found in Christ. And you may not be able to give the answer that they're quite looking for, but man, get that conversation back to Jesus. Get it back to the hope that is found in him. And for us to communicate the gospel, you got to communicate what you actually know. Many of you proclaim faith in Christ in this room. What I'm encouraging, exhorting, challenging you to do is how are you communicating that faith? You've received it, proclaim it. I I heard one guy put it this way. Sometimes people will say, I have this, this, this personal relationship with Jesus, and that is true. But your faith in Jesus, it is personal, but it's not private. Your faith in Jesus, it is personal. It's a personal relationship, but it's not private. It's not intended to be private. That's not what light does. Light shines. Light is a beacon of hope to those that are around you in darkness. Next marker is that Paul is protective. He specifically is telling the the pastors, the elders, the overseers to be protective of the flock, to be on guard, verse 28, to be on the alert, verse 31, to to be on guard because there are going to be wolves that are going to try to rise up and try to deceive. And we're going to see it later on in the book of Ephesus. We're going to see it, or Ephesians, in the book of Galatians, of people within the ranks of the church are going to rise up and try to disrupt things for power and for gain. He says, man, be on guard for that. Be willing to be firm and harsh with the truth. Man, make sure it's seasoned with grace, as he says, with tears. The next marker is content and not greedy. Are you content with where you are right now, even though you don't have all the things you want? Paul was content, verse 33. He didn't covet anyone's silver, gold, or clothes. He says, you know this. He was content with what he had. He's not greedy. The next is he's generous. In verse 35, he says, and everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of Jesus It is more blessed to give than to receive. A remarkable life will have the marker of generosity. Generosity of your time, your resources, and your abilities. Just like one of our values. We didn't just make it up because it sounds like something to throw on a rack card. It's because it's biblical that we want to be generous with all that we have for the glory of God. The next one is devotion to prayer and word. Verse 32 perhaps is the, the, the verse that gets me the most. He says, I commend to you God and the word of his grace. True marker of a remarkable life is that you are devoted to prayer and to the word. This is what he's doing here. He's he's commending them to God. He's praying for them, um, that you go to God. But also the word of God and the word of his grace. Just this week I was praying. I was just like, Lord, if I'm not careful, I can go through the motions of preparing a message and preaching that message. I can go through the motions of preparing a lesson for MPA on Thursday night and sharing that lesson. I've done it long enough to where I know how to be able to just to do that. But if I show up without your anointing, then it's just a waste of time, and it's just a lot of words. I'm just praying that, God, by your grace, where there be those that would hear from this passage, regardless of the, 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 the points and things that I make, but that you heard from the Lord of God, and that that you would be committed to God and that you would hear the word of his grace and that it would move you and and it would build you up and remind you of the inheritance that you have and that this would be that reminder that, that without 
Christ in us. We can have all the incredible markers in our life, but without Christ and his presence in our life, man, it's just, it's just empty. As Christ says in John chapter 15, abide in me for apart from me, you can't do anything. Sometimes, man, we can get really good at doing church and living this life, living the Christian life as a, as a guy, as a gal, as a husband, as a wife. But are you just kind of coasting by as, as a husband, as a wife, just because ah, I, I, I'm just kind of living my life? Or are you relying upon the Lord to be the husband God has called you to be? Are you leaning and diving into his word so that you can be the wife that he's called you to be, to be, the, to be the individual that he's called you to be, to be the child he's called you to be? And let's not put it on autopilot. Let's go back again and again to the one who sits in the captain chair of our life because we need him. Last marker, verse 24 is the one that we'll end with. It's that verse that we read together as a group. The last marker, I didn't know exactly how to call it, so I have mission, call, and perspective. <laughs> that you have this marker that, that you know the mission, that you understand the call in your life, that you have an eternal perspective. When you read verse 24, when Paul says, I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that, man, circle that, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus what he's saying is this. He says, love Jesus more than yourself. Love Jesus more than comfort. Ask yourself this question. Paul got it. He understood his call. He understood an eternal perspective. And so he leads a remarkable life, leaving marks and leaving a legacy and leaving an impact in any city that he went into. Why are you here? Like, literally, why are you sitting where you are? Broadly, why are you on this earth? Why are you in this city? But why are you here in this room? This life, it's, it's, it's more than work. It, it, it's, it's more than things. It's more than playing games. It's more than entertainment, comfort, food, family. It's, it's more than finding that person to spend your life with. It's more than having those kids and grandkids. Those things are all good and great and fun in their proper place and perspective. But man, get them in the proper perspective of eternity because I believe that Paul grasped this. That's why he has these tears and this passion and this heart that this is my ultimate call and mission. So here's the thing. If you're a husband, man, husband well for the glory of God. You're a wife, wife well for the glory of God. If you're single, single well for the glory of God. If you're a parent, parent well for the glory of God. If you're a child, child well for the glory of God. But recognize that he has called you not just to get through this life and see what you can obtain and say, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. It's to say, God, how can I be a blessing to you? How can I serve you? How can I be an outpouring towards you and your glory? Because if I don't get on board with you. One, my life will get boring and I'll get comfortable and I'm just going to lead my life. And I'm going to wake up a year from now and go, man, I just, what am I doing with my life? You've been called to something that is exceptional. And yet we walk around bored in the life of the church. And it does become mundane and ordinary for us. And yet in this room with this many believers in Christ, we should be knowing, experiencing the presence of the living God. And that changes when you go out. This hopefully is a time to be built up and encouraged by the word of God or convicted and so that you repent of sin in your life so that you go out into a community on commission for the glory of God. And that we would do so because he's worthy of praise 
And because the people that you live, work, live with, work with, and play with, they don't know Christ, they will spend a Christless eternity in hell separated from God. That's the reality. Does that move you to any tear? Maybe not visually, but just in your heart. Does it move you? I, I, I never want anybody within the life of this church to feel strong-armed or guilted into sharing their faith. That is just a waste of time. I hate it when people try to guilt me into doing something. Don't you want to come over to my house and guilt me? I'm like, not anymore. I might do it out of guilt or obligation, but it won't be out of passion and love. I just want you to see the life of Paul and the remarkable life that he led and say, and it's not even that I want you to be Paul. He was Paul. You're not. He said, I want you to be so in love with Jesus and what he's done for you that you'll share him with others. Use your gifts, your abilities, your talent, your resources to make that happen. And know that you're not alone. You have a church that's right there with you. Would you pray with me, Father? Father, I ask in Jesus' name that as we take in what we've heard from your word this morning and over the last 10 weeks of this series with Paul and these missionary journeys, that we would have a desire to live for you. Not so that people will notice us or applaud us, but because your glory is at stake and the souls of men and women are at stake as well pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, would you stand? I'm going to ask you just a couple of things. That same missionary that I've talked about, Jim Elliott, this is the last quote of his that I really liked. He says, I seek not a long life, but a full one. Like you, Jesus. Man, what a prayer. I seek not a long life, but a full one. A remarkable one. Makes an impact. So a few questions as we sing, and maybe before you sing, you answer these questions before the Lord. Are you living a remarkable life, even in the mundane? Are you leaving positive marks in the people that are in your life? And are any of these markers that we looked at a part of your life? And in the end, go out and be who God has called you to be salt and light to the community that's around you. So as they sing, you respond, you pray. We'll be done.